Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Wormhole War. So, on Monday's episode, we put contact under the lens. And now it's time to meet the challenger, weighing in at a bum-numbing two hours and 49 minutes. What you've got to understand is all time is relative, and that some Sometimes, when you leave Matt Damon on his own in space, he doesn't science the shit out of it. He just kicks the shit out of you. From 2014, enter Interstellar. So we'll have a champion at the end of this show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles! Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. Everybody good? Plenty of slaves for my robot colony. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And we are in the second part of Contact versus Interstellar. These were Christopher's choices. You gave me Contact. We did that on Monday. So, Victoria, it's your turn to take us through Interstellar. Please. Take us on a journey. So because I forgot to write something, I'm just going to read from IMDb, but apparently that's all right now, so that's great. Um, A team of explorers must find the human race a new home after Earth is struck with worldwide food shortages. Okay, well, right now, we don't need more engineers. We didn't run out of television screens and planes. We ran out of food. Utilising a mysterious wormhole, they explore strange new worlds to find a home to save the human race. There, that, that, that's it. That's the wormhole. You say it, don't spray it, huh? Everybody ready to say goodbye to our solar system? To our galaxy. Here we go. End. God, if that was, if it really was as simple as that. <laughs> I know. You know. There's a lot not said. <laughs> We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system 
can help us. Now you need to tell me what your plan is to save the world. We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. And this is the mission we were trained for. I've got kids, Professor. Get out there and save them. I have no idea when you're coming back. I'm coming back. We must reach far beyond our own lifespans. We must think not as individuals, but as a species. We must confront the reality of interstellar travel. Murph, I love you forever. Do you want to do, I mean, we covered it a bit on Monday. Do you want to do your uh, memories or histories with this film? I will start by saying I, which is a mirror of what I said on Monday. I went to the cinema to see this. I was pregnant and um, therefore I found it incredibly hard to follow. And it didn't, (laughs) again, it didn't have quite the gut punch that it did this time round by such a long way. Someone gut punched you. No, I know. Sorry, that's a bad thing to say, isn't it? Sorry. No, no one did that. Where where, where was the cinema cinema that I got to? Was it the Peckhamplex? Yeah, it probably was. That's what it's like, isn't it? Was it a lot of people really angry because they didn't understand what was going on, rioting, going, what the? This doesn't make any bloody sense! Punch that pregnant woman! Why is it a bookcase? Her fault! Riots! Uh, no, uh, so, so I'll just phrase it differently, I guess. Um, it didn't have the emotional impact that it did this time round. This time round, I was a mess. I was crying a lot. What about you two? Uh, the first time I saw this uh, was at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, that's nice. And uh, Stephen King... Uh, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Which Stephen is it really? I love this. No. Stephen Fry? No. no. Oh, Stephen, your mate? Uh, Stephen Summers, the director of the Mummy films. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Stephen King. It was Stephen Hawking. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> Stephen... Makes more sense. Stephen Hawking came on stage and introduced Christopher Nolan, Kip Thorne yeah. and Hans Zimmer. Oh, and wow. then they did a talk about... Really about the film a little bit, but about the music. Yeah. And then they played the movie while uh, Hans Zimmer conducted an orchestra playing the music live. That sounds incredible. But all I keep thinking is, fuck, that's a long night, isn't it? Because, like, what? how long was this talk? Like, yeah, at least it, half an hour. It was about half an hour. It was quite Ugh. exciting. Yeah. It was just... And I was very near the front, which meant I was very near the orchestra. So it, yeah, I wasn't drifting off during that screening. Yeah. It was, there was a lot happening. To, I know, because you listen to soundtracks a lot when you're working. And I don't, but I did listen to this soundtrack this week while I was, <laughs> while I was forgetting to write the synopsis <laughs> mm. <laughs> for, for today. Well, we'll um, get onto that because actually the, the, the script was written uh, while Nolan was listening to this soundtrack because Hans Zimmer wrote a lot of the music before the, really? the script was finished. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, on to Alex. All right, I, I see your... Uh, I see your Royal Albert Hall, and I raise you hosting the world premiere for this film in Leicester Square. 
Uh, which is, with Stephen so, King. Yeah, we see, who did that? Who hosted it? Was it someone you know? That's amazing, babe. Uh, yeah, so I hosted the premiere. So I saw this film um, at a screening before the premiere. Um, I uh, spoke to the cast at the premiere. I remember Matthew McConaughey uh, told me a story uh, about how much he enjoyed a, a steak dinner. And uh, it was uh, it was very good, actually. Yeah, I remember really enjoying this movie, but really enjoying it more this time round. Um, I, 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 this time a bit like you, Vicky. Uh, it's um, it was uh, you know, even even without kids, I, I actually had the the equivalent um of how to feel emotional about a film like this, and that is a hangover. So I, um... <laughs> that's that's completely true. <laughs> that is a little bit what like having like having kids is like, like in terms of your raw emotional. Like what you're sure to the world every day. It's just like being permanently fucking hungover. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So um. So yeah, this was I, even though I enjoyed it first time round, I do remember being a bit like, uh, what the fuck? Um. Towards the end, and this time I still enjoy the first two thirds of this film more than I do the final third. But I've got theories now which made me enjoy it more. So that's where I am. Well, let's do some background because these two films, Contact and Interstellar, are actually properly linked beyond um, anything, <clears throat> quote marks, funny that we might come up with in the week. So we talked about Linda Obst uh, on Monday, who um, was a producer on Contact. Now, I read, and I hope it's true because I love this, that um, Linda Obst and Kip Thorne met at the premiere for Contact, which, even if it's not true, let's pretend it is because that's really cute. Um, we should say who Kip Thorne is. Oh, sorry. Um, renowned physicist Kip Thorne, who was responsible for um, helping Carl Sagan with some of the theoretical approaches in Contact and to make them, he Carl Sagan wanted them to be as realistic as possible. So he's a <laughs> he's a wormhole expert now, um, and he's written a book about the science uh, underpinning Interstellar. And I also read that this the way that he worked on Contact sort of helped wormhole science along a bit, and the result being a lot of the theory um, and the application of the theory that you can see in Interstellar, which is wicked. So. Years later, after contact, Linda Obst and Kip Thorne meet again. Linda wants to do another sci-fi film um, and they come up with a treatment and they've got a couple of rules. Rule number one, nothing in the film will violate firmly established laws of physics or our knowledge of the universe um, and uh, speculations about ill-understood physical laws will come from real science, from ideas that at least some respectable scientists regard as possible. So the, the goal is to make... The most realistic, and not the only goal, but one of the goals is to make the most realistic sci-fi movie to date. I think I read. They. I think I read somewhere. Go on. I'm not sure because I, I read around this a bit, but I'm pretty sure there was there's a quote somewhere where Christopher Nolan agreed to that, uh, except where the screenplay required that they take some liberties, which seems to kind of undo like the whole idea. It's like absolutely, Kip. We will stick yep. to everything uh, that you've just said. I, unless I need to change it to make a better film. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick to it apart from when I don't. Is that okay? Uh, but I think they did get on quite well. Um, 
they so Jonathan Nolan is there to as a screenwriter to sort of flesh out this treatment. But there are a few delays, including the Writers Guild strike in 2007, and he's got to work on The Dark Knight Rises. Um, because Steven Spielberg was attached at one point, but by the time we get to um, a decent script, Steven Spielberg's left the project, which is how we get to Christopher Nolan. And I think Kip Thorne and Christopher, they still get on. I think Kip Thorne did work on Tenet. Um, but they, with Kip Thorne's sort of non-negotiable guidelines... There were times when Christopher Nolan wanted stuff in there that wouldn't work. So, like, a character travel faster than light and Kip Thorne was like, this isn't going to happen. But I think they worked it out. There's one scene, which we'll come to, that I read that Kip Thorne can't bear because it's completely unrealistic. But apart from that, he is pretty happy with it. Um, anything else? That's good for me. Do it. All right, so let's talk about the film. Um, I, I think I'll start by saying we're probably going to miss a few of the plot points because this is a very very long film um and we've all got lives to lead and need to get out of here at some point so let's just i'm just going to try and stick to the things that i find the most exciting but please jump in if i miss anything that um that floats your boat so we've got matthew mcconaughey i'll do that again Matthew McConaughey back as Coop. And I think, because if you watch these films quite close together, the distance travelled, what? No, just the way Matthew McConaughey's back as though he's playing the same character from Contact. He's like, yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, I see uh, Palmer Joss, you know, God. I'm, I'm going to go find God, uh, but call me Coop. Yeah, it's a much better name. Oh, my Palmer Joss is quite cool, actually. But anyway, the difference, the distance travelled between... Matthew McConaughey in contact and as Coop from the get-go is remarkable. Like he has he has come a long way, I think, as an actor <clears throat> between these two films. He's having a horrible dream, a sort of flashback to a crash he had. And this is intercut with some documentary footage featuring a woman that will later realise is Coop's grown-up daughter, Murph. And so let's establish Matthew McConaughey's world, Coop's world. Uh, there's dust everywhere. There's a blight killing our crops. Everyone's a farmer. They call themselves the caretaker generation. The moon landings didn't happen because that would be so wasteful. There are no more armies. Weirdly, no more MRI machines. But maybe that's their little bit of snark here to give Christopher Nolan his perfect dead wife. Because if there'd been MRI machines, as Coop rightly says, that would have found her brain cancer sooner and she would be not be dead. So Matthew McConaughey, Coop, is a single dad. Now, at first, both times round, that annoyed the shit out of me, as you can imagine. Um, but I've thought about it a bit more in retrospect, and we'll get there. And I think it's a very important part of Coop's relationship with his kids, particularly his daughter. And the caretaker generation stuff is really important to Coop because he's a thwarted pilot. And his sense of not being able to do what he wanted to do, as John Lithgow explains to him, is really crucial to the story. Um, but let's just sort of park that there and come back to it. It's very, so. it's very serious at the start, isn't it? It's quite... I, I, I'd forgotten that it was going to be serious at the start. And then I was reminded because the logo, uh, when the Warner Brothers logo comes up and it's all in black and white, that is... Christopher Nolan's way of going, everyone, stop having fun. We're going to do some serious <laughs> thinking now. So, look, the logo's in black and white. So, serious film time. <laughs> serious film time. 
yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so in Coop's house, we've got um, a fun... Well, it's Murph's bedroom, isn't it? But it's like a library. Um, and there are gravitational fields in that library and messages that Murph is interpreting from somewhere. And these plot out points on a map which lead him to NASA, which features Michael Caine and Anne Hathaway, and puts Coop on a mission to save humanity, to visit planets, 12 possible worlds, which have been scoped out by astronauts on the other side of a wormhole that has sort of conveniently appeared. So here we get to the the emotional undercurrent of this film, which is why does Coop agree to go and leave his kids and what does that mean for his kids as they're left behind? Because definitely the first time I watched this, so Murph, I mean, he loves his son, but his daughter is younger and they do seem maybe more close. Like his son seems a bit more capable and John Lithgow even says to him, you know, he'll be all right without you, but Murph uh, probably won't. So he goes home to say to Murph, which is like the contact speech, the other that the other astronaut kind of turned it down, which is like, I'm going to space, I, may, I might not come back. And Murph is not happy about this. And this speech that he gives to her, um, he says, when you kids were born, your mum said that we're just here to be memories for our kids. And at this point, I was like, that's so true, Coop, crying. But then he says, but I want to live. I get that, more crying. So I love that. But I love it because it's even more complicated than her, than Murph's dad just wanting to have a life before he becomes just memories for his kids. Because he does leave Murph with her granddad, who is an elderly man. And what does he think is going to happen when John Lithgow passes away, which is probably going to happen in the not too distant future? So they're all the way through the film when Murph is all grown up she can't really cope with the idea that her dad left her and we're with Coop watching these messages and we're like no he didn't leave you he's gone to try and save humanity but really he did leave her and I like that complexity I'm not I'm not calling him a bastard for doing it he did it because he wanted to but he left her to save her yeah and that's a complicated thing yeah to, get, to wrap your head around true yes. true but there is a point in that conversation uh, when he's sitting on the bed with her and they're talking about him leaving and she doesn't want him to go. But at this point, she has no idea how long he's going away for. And he, in a kind of like flippant way, goes, hey, you know, when I get back, we might be the same age, which is not the fucking <laughs> right fuck thing to say. Because she's like, you don't say You that. fucking what? I thought it was going to be like maybe a couple of years like five at the moment. We might be the same age. How long are yeah. you going for? But that's mad. I'm 10. Like, what? Why have you said that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. She's thinking, like, are you going to miss Christmas? He's like, I might be, you might be like fucking 30. <laughs> I thought that was good writing, though, because in his head, he thought that was almost a fun thing to say to yeah, her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then he immediately regrets it. And her reaction is so real. I thought that was really, really clever. Yeah, she's like, what? <laughs> I did. I did write down Victoria question mark uh, uh, after yeah. one particular quote. Uh, I'll just read it to you, just sort of uh, to get your immediate reaction. Um, Once you're a parent, you're a ghost of your children's future. Yeah, it's kind of true. I, I mean, are you a ghost, Victoria? 
I don't think so. I think not yet. Not yet. Um, but I do understand why that line is in there, and I am very conscious of be making sure that well, it's twofold, isn't it? Trying to make sure that the children are raised happy and have nice memories, and that I create those for them. But also, it is interesting when you think about to the, to my children, I'm just their mom, and I'm not anybody else, and. The same way that my parents weren't anything else, because children can't really see beyond their own like purview, um, especially not at the age that my children are. And so you you just you're just there to sort of service and function them. And then the kicker is that's you love doing that, and most of the time, sometimes it's a bit of a pain in the ass, obviously. But I, I understand that line, and it, it worked on me. Uh, one final question quickly about NASA. Uh, how do you feel uh, about the fact that, A, uh, conveniently, NASA is a drive away uh, from Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> which is uh, lucky, uh, lucky. Uh, when he gets there, they go, fucking hell, Coop, how are you? Do you know what? You are actually <laughs> You'll never the best person in the world to fly <laughs> this mission. There is, I, I mean, I'm not kidding, like days away. We are days away, so great timing. Um, and also welcome to our boardroom that we built next to the launch pad of the shuttle. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, this is what I've seen this film twice and I still don't know if this is explained. And I agree with you. So, you know, the bootstrap paradox where you create the events that you then do. So the, the paradox doesn't have a start point. So Math- uh, Coop is involved in the bootstrap paradox because eventually he sends himself to NASA. Um, but we'll get to that bit. But, but when he first arrives there and they're like, what, how did you find us? And he's like, gravity. And Anne Hathaway, <coughs> excuse me, so she smirks. Like, she knows what's going on. So, obviously, him being conveniently the best person for the job. And Michael Caine's even like, we were going to go anyway, but now you're here. (laughs) It would be kind of good if you did it. (laughs) Do they not know what's going on? But I suppose they don't. It doesn't work out like that. No, they don't. So, yeah, then that is shit. Because you can't just have the best person for the job drive up to it. He was... Yeah, but hasn't that destiny been manifest by him sending himself on that journey? Yeah, but it's like Alex says, it's, it takes him like it's an hour's drive. and Okay, so geography is the issue. Geography is possibly the issue. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're getting bogged down in a minor point in there's some major ones coming up. Yes, okay, so um, let's go to space. We're in space. Um, let's go and check out some of these planets that could ha- home human life. Plan A, as it becomes known, which would be find a planet... Uh, make sure it's nice and send all your humans. So we're on a watery planet. I can't remember what it's called. And that's the most viable. Uh, Only turns out it's not because of massive waves, which I found absolutely terrifying. But because of relativity, uh, Coop, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. What's her character called? Brand. 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 Um, They lose 23 years just fucking around on this planet. And by the time they get back to their shuttle or to the endurance, sorry, to the spaceship, um, they've lost 23 years. So it's, that, a, it's a bit of a mess, that sequence. It I doesn't think. feel It's like very an visually out, yeah. dramatic, but like they get stuck down there for 45 minutes. We're told that an hour is seven, seven years. years. yeah. And then the, the spaceship says to the, the Tar says to them, oh, we're going to be delayed 45 minutes because we've been flooded. Yeah. How long is that going to, that's going to leave us. We're losing, we lose decades. Yeah. Well, no, you just said it was seven years was an hour. Yeah, I thought I'd missed it. Uh, there's a lack of clarity with some of the and also, information. And also, is like, I'm going to drain the shuttle, basically. Like, put it on a shelf. Like, Sorry, it on it's hard. case, isn't it? It's not Tars. All it's right, case, case on this bit. Sorry. But then, 
then they're like, oh, okay, we've got to wait until all the water is drained away. But then another wave is coming and Coop's like, fuck it, let's leave. And so they leave and it's now fine. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Also, another point, because this comes up later when Romilly is killed. This is Wes Bentley. I can't remember his character's name. Doesn't really get his own death. He just gets swept away. Um, and that's that. And that happens later on. I found that really irritating. Well, we see his body lying face down on the water a little yeah. bit later. Which but, the, I think... but the actor doesn't get the like, uh-oh moment. Um, and that happens later I on. Like that, I like that, though. I thought that was great because I, I, I thought sort of like just the... It made it seem like so like he's just dead. And which is more realistic than sort of focusing in on his face as he sees the wave coming towards him. It's sort of told from the view of those in the shuttle. And it makes it seem not insignificant, but just like, shit, that literally just happened. There was little drama. There was very little drama around it for us. We were busy doing our thing and like in a flash, he's just gone. So I quite like the fact it left out that the the expected, like him going, oh, shit, moment. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just really love mainstream films and I just wanted that moment where he's like, uh-oh. I, I, I like the fact when um, when Matthew McConaughey's landing on the water world and he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to use the air brake. He's like holding on to a handbrake next to his chair. And I'm like, it's got, yeah. I was like, I bet that's how it works, but it still looks a bit ridiculous. Like he's got one hand on the wheel and one on the handbrake going, yeah. gotta get it down. Yeah. Fucking Ford Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> but when they get back to the ship and Romilly's there, I, I I think it's such a great moment when he's like, you've been gone 23 years, and Brand's like, why didn't you sleep, you dick? And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I just didn't. So like, I'm a bit fucked up now. It's like, yeah, because you should have slept. Yeah. And then Coop watches his kids oh, grow God. up without him. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't even really think about it. Like, the sadness. I mean, it's a brilliant moment for Matthew McConaughey, but just how that would feel in real life. It's, you know, they haven't died, and so it's not that sort of grief. It's just this other strange grief that you've missed all this stuff, but you chose to do it, and it was just gone in a flash. And, you know, they don't... And also, it's not over-egged, so it's not like, oh, look, we've had, you know... Um, his son has had a child and that's quite sweet but it's not like oh you missed the prom you, you know stupid shit like that it's just really sort of pedestrian everyday stuff and then the birth of the grandson uh, to hammer home how much time has passed it was so affecting and then I think that the, the, affecting. the death of a baby as well does he talk about that because it took me a while to work out but there's another child Jesse that has died in the time yeah. uh, over the course of oh. those 23 years yeah um, but on a lighter note, uh, we do get Romilly explaining how a wormhole works exactly the way that Sam Neill does in Event Horizon. He literally does yeah, that's the right. same thing. He gets a piece of paper and folds it and sticks a pen through it. I watched the Event Horizon bit and I was like, man, I love that movie. I wish I was watching that. I mean, it's... It's difficult because I, you know, a lot of people have said it's so ridiculous that you you don't need to, you shouldn't need to explain that to Coop because he should know that shit. Mm. But you need to be told as the audience, and sometimes it's like, oh, do you know what? I'm just gonna tell you. There's a lot of it in this film, though. There's another yeah. scene where McConaughey turns a screen round and it's got a whiteboard in the back. <laughs> I did think so that. he does. You know, I bring it up a lot. I call it the Doc Brown moment where yeah. he's on the on the chalkboard. I only bring it up a lot because it happens so often. Yeah. And I couldn't believe they literally did it here as well as the the wormhole explanation and the the stuff in the boardroom at NASA. Like, I mean, I guess they are trying to get across very heavy scientific um, information, but it's it's. I don't know, because I think by now, isn't a wormhole so embedded in what we understand as a, as a, in theory? Like, 
most people would know that a wormhole is like a bit. You say it's a shortcut through space. There you go. I mean, I know that's not yes. accurate, but yeah. it's that'd do, wouldn't it? It's called a gravity um, drive, right? <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I learned I learned some fun stuff about black holes. Okay. Um, trying to find out what happens to you in in a black hole once you pass that event horizon. Yeah. You don't know you're passing through it, but once you pass through it, you're fucked. You're yes. never getting you out again. Get out. Yeah. But what I like is once you're inside it and you get close to the singularity, I like the language that's used. I heard one scientist saying that your body becomes spaghettified. Nice. And uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the American TV scientist, he said your body um, gets toothpasted. Oh, okay. So you either get you turn spaghetti or like you're squeezed out like toothpaste. Wow. Are you still are, are you still alive? No, this right. this is what kills right, you. Right, 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 right. Okay, so love but it. But you though. wouldn't even know it, would you? Because well, you'd be dead quite quickly. But what, it'd be cool if you got to see like your hands turn into spaghetti and then you were like, oh shit. Yeah. That would be Can good. you not hide in the bookcase so they don't get you, the spaghetti people? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I believe you can. Yeah, Kip Thorne says you can. So I think you can. So, uh, so they fucked up basically. Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, they've really fucked up. Um, they haven't got enough fuel, I think, to go to the two other planets that are left. So they have to choose between Dr. Edmund's planet or Dr. Mann's planet. Dr. Mann being Matt Damon. And this is where we get Anne Hathaway's biggest moment to date, which is a speech from her about, we love people who have died. So Matthew McConaughey calls her out. She wants to go to Edmund's planet. He calls her out to Rob and he's like, you should be aware that she's in love with Edmund's and that may be affecting her judgment. And she doesn't really go, no, it's not because of this. She's like, yeah, I love him. And so what? And then for some reason, it's up to Coop to say, well, I don't give a shit about that. So we're going where I say, even though I think in the chain of command, I would have put her above him. But doesn't, um, doesn't, doesn't she try and basically say that love is quantifiable or something? It's like, you know, or that love is yeah. like it, 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 it's, it, it. She claims it can transcend. It can potentially transcend dimensions of time and space. Yes. Yeah. Like gravity. Yeah. And that's why she wants to go and visit Wolf on the planet. Yeah. And it's called Wolf, isn't he? Wolf he Edmund. Is, yes. is it Wolf? Wolf? Is it Gladiator's Wolf? Yes, yeah. In, it, literally. Yeah, I think so. It, yeah. Well, there's there's, <laughs> there's some deleted scenes with him looking directly at the camera going, <laughs> Those are the videos they keep... <laughs> Those are the videos that they got back to Earth to tell them that the, the planet was actually inhabitable. They, he was like, This planet's inhabitable. I used to get a bus from outside Wolf's gym uh, in Hayes near Bromley, and he would he would sometimes just come out and stand outside his gym so that people could see that great. He, he's Wolf. Yeah, great. Sign a few autographs. Why not? It's such a burn. After Matthew McConaughey does that, um, after Anne Hathaway does that speech, she goes, how about love is this? Love is this. Love transcends things. It's like it crosses dimensions. This is something we have to do. That's why we need to go to Edmund's planet. And Matthew McConaughey looks at her and goes, Tars, set a course for man's planet. Burn. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. It's 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 fucking cheeky. But I do think they have an argument later on uh, after we've been to see Dr. Man, which we will talk about. But I do like the payoff for that. So when it's gone wrong, she says to him... You will have to. You might have to choose between seeing your kids again and the future of the human race. And so I hope you'll be as objective because it's good that she's mad. Like that's a that's a harsh thing to say to mm. someone, but she's very cross about it. And also, she does turn out to be right. So she gets her 
moment, kind of. Mm. Maybe not enough, but we go to see Dr. Man, but he's space crazy. Um, yeah. Which yeah. we'll talk more about after a short break. Short break. Right. Short break. Right. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, he, we're with Dr. Man yeah. on his planet. He's bonkers. He's been up there on his own, sleeping and wanking for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there no. was there was an audible gasp uh, when people realised it was Matt Damon because yeah. they'd done a really good job of keeping this secret. Yeah. They kept him out of all the press. They kept him off the posters, the trailers and things. And it's a pretty impressive moment. And also, he brings with him such amazing baggage, this heroic uh, actor, mm. you know, who, who always is someone you can depend upon in movies, pretty much. Yeah, yeah uh, apart from Mr. Ripley, you could, but um, you know, yeah. it's born. He's gonna, he's gonna sort this out. He's gonna save us. And you can yeah. totally see, you can totally see what they were going for. Because I think, um, I think Christopher Nolan, before it was Matt Damon, approached um, Ifram Khan uh, to play that role, and he couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts. And Ifram Khan had just done uh, Life of Pi. And it was, it was, he would have picked him for exactly the same reason where audiences um, who'd seen that movie saw this really lovely guy who, like, it's just like, just a nice character, which Matt Damon usually plays. So they, they, it was the same thing. They definitely wanted you to, 
They wanted to wrong footers. Um, although, you know, I could have done without. He's called Dr. Man because man's yeah. worst God, enemy I hate that. is man. Yeah. I fucking hate that. But yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's, we've also seen this a second time now. And it is interesting watching his performance um, the second time when he's revived and he starts crying. Yeah. Um, it's quite emotional, but you're watching it with a very different eye this time. Yeah. And you realise that everything he was saying from the moment he's revived has a double meaning because he is justifying to himself over and over again why he's about mm-hmm. to do what he's about yeah. to do. Even though he's a coward. and Yes. I mean, he's, he's not a coward. That's a very judgmental thing to say. Like, you know, you, you might all do the same. This, interestingly, is the scene that Kip Thorne says he can't quite cope with because... Uh, the ice clouds on the planet um, go beyond what the material strength of ice would be able to support given the planet's gravity. Oh, shut up, Kip. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most exciting reason, but anyway, you know. I get it, though. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a details man. You're but... him, basically, but just for, for a very different field. Here's my Wait. question. Is, is why is Damon so murderous here? Yes. It seems like it's quite extreme the way he behaves yeah. in terms of not only trying to murder McConaughey, but, you know, booby trapping poor Romilly who has a rough time in this film really he, he ages 23 years on his own and then gets blown up and again he doesn't get his own death scene it just blows <laughs> up without him and I think he's, he's surely earned that but I, I don't understand why Damon isn't why man isn't reasoning I with think, them or do you know telling what? them I, I think that's a really good question because there is there is an argument here where he uh, if, if he'd woken up and just gone alright uh, big news guys hey uh, everyone everyone um this planet is a rock of shit. I just didn't want to die here on my own. Uh, so, <laughs> surprise, can I come with you? They'd have been like, you massive dick. But yeah, all right. Come, he's so egotistical as well. Like The reason he's done this is because he believes he's the one to save the race. He's surprised it. the other planets when he wakes up aren't going to help. But he knows he's the guy that's going to fix it's, this, just like he knew he was going to be on the right and planet. And that's why. So why he doesn't that's why then he, do, say that to Cooper? But no, that's why he becomes so murderous, because it's pride. It's pride. He doesn't want to admit to them that he is not the guy everyone thought he was. He's not the best of them. So he actually sort of goes... Uh, yeah, I'm going to actually keep this on the down low so people still think I'm awesome. I think it's pride. It's this hard, though, isn't it? Because you'd think after all the, the the profundity of the things they have to deal with and the amount of time he's had to sort of learn to do better, you'd think he would be able to put pride to one side. Mm. What, what I do like about this scene, watching it a second time, though, is, is man not realising that the same will to survive that he's talking about him having... Yeah. Cooper also has of course. more than him, of course, which is why he defeats him. And so Cooper isn't going gentle into the good night like oh, he thinks man. he's going to. Fuck that fucking poem. <laughs> I like that poem. I used to until this film because just stop saying it constantly. And it's on the soundtrack. I've had enough <laughs> of that. It's ruined it for me. Mm. I'm not. A, you know, there's something quite interesting. Like I, I think some people sort of had a problem when they saw this movie uh, uh, about. Um, like the the fact that we've gone from all this sort of theoretical stuff and like you know time and relativity and love, and then you've got a scene where two blokes try and beat the shit out of each other mm. on an ice cloud, <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> what, what, what's, that's, what's happening? That's true. But yeah. in reality, yeah. I, I think it's quite good. I think it's like it sort of shows just like for all of this science and all of this theory, like 
you know, yeah. two blokes who disagree about something are just having a fucking fight on a planet in the middle of nowhere. Like, you fuck, <laughs> I love you. No one can even see them. <laughs> like, he fucking, Matt Damon headbutts him. It's like a headbutt. It's like outside a chippy on a Friday night. It's like, what, what is <laughs> yeah. happening? This is where we also learn about the big lie that Brand yeah. has told. Yeah. It, w- w- while this intercutting is happening. And I, this time I watched it, I thought, I spotted like I feel like there's some clever foreshadowing in this film. Okay. So he's told this big lie to keep people focused on the problem. Yes. At hand, uh-huh. rather than just becoming selfish and going to pieces. And it's the same lie that the textbooks are telling when they've been rewritten to claim the moon landings were faked. Uh huh. Um, to teach kids about this planet, about not leaving it, and so it foreshadows that lie. So if you're really paying attention, yeah, you could figure out Brand is telling a lie as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Um, lovely. I, lo- I love a bit of setup and payoff. Yeah, know. of course, you of course. So after um, Matt Damon has gone completely space crazy bananas, um, th- again, <laughs> it's, it's something that you've s- sort of said, which is um, you're w- the minute Matthew McConaughey turns up, you're waiting for a moment where he's like, strap in, I'll show you how to fly this goddamn thing kind of moment um, to sort of break all the seriousness. And I, I, for me, this is where you get this. So um, the the endurance is spinning out of control as a result of Matt Damon's bullshit. Um, and so Matthew McConaughey has to spin the shuttle in order to get it to line up. So it's kind of like the classic moment of, this is what I'm here for. This is what I know how to do this. And I'm going to do some like very manual maneuvers, but it's going to work better than any computer could do like that sort of thing, which I love. I'm a real sucker for something like that. I do think it's a shame and it's not just a gripe about this because I think it would work for later on. But Anne Hathaway passes out, which is realistic given the spinning and all the rest of it. But it is a bit of a shame because it's a nice moment. They could have had something to do together in order to align the shuttle with the endurance. And for her to just literally pass out of the scene, I don't see the point of it. We know that Coop is a great pilot, so it doesn't need a test for him at that moment to be like, well, she's going to pass out, so I've got to go it alone. He's the best. This is well established. So why does she have to be unconscious? She's a woman. (laughs) Yeah, thoughts, thoughts, thoughts there. I'd forgotten she was unconscious. Oh, oh, that's doubly worse. I just, I honestly, I, I don't. I mean, at this point, like this, I, I, I find this action sequence quite boring, just because it doesn't need to be there. Yeah, I think too. you should. Ju- I think too. you should just get them because it's followed by another whole action sequence where they go slingshotting around the black hole, yeah. and you just like get them back aboard the endurance and, and get on with like the climax. Because no, it, it's. You know, it doesn't. It's not even visually that um, arresting, so I, I, I think it's unnecessary personally. Okay. Um. So then we get to the point where Coop sends Brandt back to Edmund's planet, but he has to then eject into the black hole. So then we're into the library, basically. The Tesseract, which I listened to an interesting interview with Paul Franklin, who's the effects guy in this film, and he said Nolan just phoned him up and said, um. Can you show me time manifested as a physical dimension? Wicked. How do you visualise that? Just with your big brain. <laughs> I mean, he came with bookcase, so that's <laughs> an interesting. But the effects is very interesting, you know. Nolan, um, they was, I read that the normal blockbuster has 2,000 visual effects. He has about a quarter of that in his films. Okay. Because so much of it is practical. And there's, uh, like, so um, 
there's only one green scene moment, green screen moment in this whole film. Everything in a spaceship outside their windows, that is space projected onto screens that were 80 feet high and 300 feet long because of his what he wants everything to be practical. So they're looking out and seeing stuff go past their windows. Do you know what the only moment of green screen is in this entire movie? The library? No. The wormhole? No. No. Alex? It's weird. You probably won't get it, so I could tell you it. Yeah. It's uh, the baseball uh, diamond at the end when he opens his window in the hospital. Oh, yeah. That's the only time they use green screen in this entire film, which is unique. Really. I mean, you would not imagine you that. T- you talk about the amazing sort of practical effects of projecting space outside the... Um... The, the, the endurance. Uh, I once hosted a show called Space Cadets um, uh, on Channel 4, which was a reality TV show, a uh, prank show, that um, basically uh, convinced uh, three members of the public uh, that they were in space for three days. Mm-hmm. Um, they built a fake space shuttle and they did a fake launch and they sent them into space and... It was a great show. I did the E4 show, uh, the spin-off show. Um, and like it was fascinating to watch these people actually think they were in space on TV. And then uh, the climax was going to be them going on a spacewalk and leaving the space shuttle and uh, stepping out into space. But really, they'd open the door and all their family and friends would be there and go, ha-ha, hello, and wow, shock and everything. Uh, but I think what happened uh, was that Channel 4 kind of got cold feet because it worked so well that these people thought they were in space. And psychologists told them that just opening a door and everyone they know being there in a fil- in a TV studio might kind of fuck them up a little bit. Mm. Uh, so in the end, like Johnny Vaughan appeared on a monitor in the spaceship and went, you're not really in space, which wasn't the best climax after three days. <laughs> It's cruel. It That's is it. cruel. I mean, I think I have a sensitivity to it because I really wanted to go to space when I was younger, as I've mentioned. It would have really fucked me up. I, I would have been so angry. I wanted to go out there and eat some jam. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that was a lovely moment. That was. Um, so back to the bootstrap paradox. Coop can see himself in a different part of... <laughs> I fail with the language. My language fails me here. In a different part of time... Um, and he tries to break the paradox because he tries to implore himself to stay and not go on this mission in the first place, which is the message that Murph gives to him as he's leaving and he doesn't believe her. Or he does believe her, but he doesn't take it seriously um, and yells at himself as he's on his way out of the door, like, you idiot, uh, don't do this, it isn't, it's not worth it. But then once he's informed that it, it's working and that... Um, that he can get a code to Murph, which will help her um, solve the equation. What is it? Solve the something. Gravity is the solution. Well, it's the quantum... What he's trying to transmit to her uh, through the hands of the watch uh, in Mm. Morse code is the quantum mechanics of a black hole. So uh, good luck with that. Yeah, it's amazing, really, isn't it, what a a watch can do? Um, The best moment for this in this, sorry, is he realises that they, we'll come back to they, the bulk beings, didn't choose him. They chose her. They chose Murph to save humanity. And his first reaction is that he's really pleased for her because he's a great fucking dad. Like, that is a good moment for me. Like, he's thrilled to bits that she gets 
the well, not so much the glory, though she does get glory, but it wasn't ever about him as much as he thought it was. Um, so then he sends her the code via the watch. There's a link there with love and faith because she's on her way out of that room as a grown up and she turns back because she just believes or feels that her dad wouldn't have abandoned her um, and goes back mm. and gets the watch. If you notice, she's, she's wearing the coat that he left behind. Oh, no, I didn't notice. She's that. wearing the same coat he's wearing at the start of the film. Oh, it's really sweet because <laughs> I did honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like, blah, blah. Oh, stop going on. No, he didn't fucking leave you. Like, really cold. Like, mm. what, a, what a cold person. And this time around, it, I just was so in it. Like, I, the, And I think it's important, maybe, that he is a man and she is a daughter. Like, the relationship he has with his son is quite easy and quite natural, but uh, n- maybe not as emotionally uh, in-depth as it is with his daughter. And maybe that's because people assume that a mother and daughter connection is more, quote marks, natural. Um, And so if it's a father and daughter relationship that's sort of crossing dimensions and crossing time and what we know to be possible, the audience might accept that that was a deeper relationship of some sort. And it's not, not, you know, you can't just fall back on assumptions that these two people would have a connection and that Murph and Coop have worked at this connection in their way, which I'm, again, a massive sucker for. I thought that was lovely. Um, and so I'm racing to the end. He <laughs> saves the world. Uh, he wakes up. Murph, his daughter, is very grown up and she's on her deathbed, which is very sad, uh, but she's happy. She's got all her family around her. She's got a big family. Um, and that's kind of it. Uh, he has a beer. And then he is given, uh, you know, he's a bit restless. What can he do? And he goes off to save Brand, who, help me out, she's kind of stuck. Mm. On Edmund's planet. With a bunch of fertilised eggs. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah she's doing plan B. Uh, she's doing and she's going to enact plan B. I will. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, some uh, problems. Problems here. Uh, first of all, uh, if, um, if, if he's going to meet her on that planet, he at this point doesn't know that Wolf Edmunds, uh, the gladiator, is dead. <laughs> uh, no, they tell, they, they do, they've told him. One, I think... Uh, I, Case uh, Tars tells him. I don't think he does. I don't think anyone. But also, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, because if I was Anne Hathaway and I'm with the guy I'm in love with and we're building a new civilization on a planet, I, I don't think I'd want Matthew McConaughey to turn up and go, all right, all right, all right. And like, it'd be the three of them. And I don't think Matthew McConaughey no, would want that either. Are you sure? I, I, double, yeah. I double checked. All right. <clears throat> all right. Well, then, in that case. But also, based on time, and the fact that he's now back on the space stations there and she's back on the other side of the wormhole on that planet. Isn't she dead? I'm pretty sure she's dead. Like, the time relativity means that she has aged so quickly compared to him that she would be dead. So he's going to go visit... Like, she's not going to be there. She's going to have passed away. That's what I thought. But, what I mean, you have got an A-level in physics, so I will let you tell me, because I don't know. She's dead, and it's going to be really uncomfortable <laughs> when he gets there, because he's going to be like, oh, you... Yeah, I've got... I'd written down, the the, the quote is, uh, he's told to go find Brand. She's out there setting up camp alone in a strange galaxy. Well, that could be because Edmunds isn't a big talker. You don't know. <laughs> They're not like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they'd know Edmunds would be dead at that point because he, he isn't giving any... Remember, like earlier, man is the only one who's giving constant feedback, although it's a lie. Edmunds has gone quiet. So how they know... Because he's dead. They don't. Because he's died. No, they don't know that. His, <laughs> his transponder could be broken. <laughs> 
That's correct. <laughs> and then we see that he's dead. So ah, we know that he's dead. I know we know but he's, he's dead. Who, honestly, I know we yeah, know he's dead. dead. I'm saying Matthew McConaughey doesn't know he's dead. So he's turning no, up. No, because she... Because, mate, I hate when to do these, these explanations. <laughs> when Bran gets there, she can use his communications. He couldn't oh, use them because he was dead. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's true. Well, see, that's two people who needed that explanation, Christopher. So thank you. <laughs> Um, so that's as much as I've got. Um, I, I find this, this it's weird to say this about a nearly three hour movie, but I find this climax um, abrupt and weirdly unsatisfying when he sees his daughter and her simply saying, no, no father should watch their child die. No yeah. parents watch their child die. And he's like, fine with that. Right, I'm off. I'm off ski. I don't want to meet any of my children, any of my grandchildren, any of my great grandchildren. I won't spend any time with you. Yeah. I'm absolutely off uh, to Shag and Hathaway. Yeah. And have a beer, and, don't forget. Have a beer. And it's just, it's weirdly, I, I feel like we just need some moments of, of, of re-establishing him yet again as a man out of time, just like he was uh, first time around. Yeah. Uh, and how I feel sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we just need to re-establish him a little bit lost there before he goes on this journey uh, to, to see her because it, it, it feels weirdly sudden. Yeah, And it feels right. stupid to say that after all we've seen. I'm sure Chris and I was like, we've done the big stuff. We've got to get out. People are going to be restless. But Yeah, I agree with you. And also they're in such a unique situation where she says, oh, no parent should see their child die. I get that. But she's like 100 million years old and... <laughs> Um, it's different. It's a different emotion. There is the emotion isn't yes. there of like you didn't get to live your life. Yes. You've had a lovely life. It's a different sadness. All yeah. they need to do is have her, her huge extended family walk in when he's there, and they look at him really coldly, like who the fuck is this guy? And mm. that would make you feel so weird that you might well, be compelled to. But she like she it. does. Come, well, first of all, I agree. I think that moment sucks. Uh, I don't think there's really any. I don't think the connection between Ellen Bernstein and uh, Matthew McConaughey as actors in that moment really doesn't work. Like there isn't a, a whole lot of emotion there, but uh, to give him uh, his fair due for the speed at which he exits uh, that room, uh, she does sort of go, yeah, you know what? I've got my kids around me, so I'm good. Uh, if it's all the same with you, like these guys, I'm, I've known them for longer. You've kind of see her. She sort of does usher him out verbally. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't ring true. It doesn't yeah. ring true to me at all. I, I agree with you. I still thought the same second time around. But I just felt <laughs> the, it feels a bit weird. The, their bond of love was so strong, it saved the universe, mm-hmm. the, the planet. Mm-hmm. But now it's, yep, fine. Yeah, nice to see you. Firm handshake, that's yeah. your lot. <laughs> yeah. He's looking well. Anyway, got to get on. Just one other theory. So do you think what happens is that he goes into the uh, magical bookcase and actually tells Murph what to do and she saves the human race and then he goes off to meet Brand? Do you think that's how it... Because yeah. there's another theory... Uh, that he actually, the minute he ejects from the spacecraft when he's in the black hole, uh, he dies uh, or gets spaghettified or or whatever, toothpasted, whatever you toothpasted. want to call it. But he dies at that point. And everything we see after that point is actually him uh, like seeing like the last images just before he dies of his kids. And it's kind of suggested earlier when he is talking to Dr. Man. But Dr. Man sort of goes, you know, the last thing we see before we die is our kids. And then that's what Matthew McConaughey sees. And the whole bit with him going back on the space station and Murph and going off to meet Brand at the end, because she's already dead because of the time difference. He's sort of accepting death and going off to meet her in the afterlife. 
So it's all, basically that's the, it was all a dream. Well, ending. I, yeah, I'm going to call much. bullshit on that because it, because if the last thing we see is our kids, why is he hanging out on a farm with Tars drinking a beer? <laughs> and why is it, why is he look watching a baseball game outside his window? Because wouldn't you hang out with Tars more than any other character in this yeah, film? Yeah, I love well, Tars. Particularly as we barely talked about Tars. I meant to, but there just isn't time. But that he's that is a, that's a salty robot you got yourself there. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. So anymore, hey, anymore? what's your trust setting, Tars? Lower than yours, apparently. Brilliant, brilliant line. <laughs> uh, no, um, uh, that's that's it for, for, for me. I'm ready to do the bits. One thing I will say is you talked about, uh, Vicky, you said about contact helped with wormhole science. Um, here, they, they, the immense computer power they used to do the effects in this film, Kip Thorne and his team were also using to science the shit out of the world. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, through their research they'd done while making this movie, they realised the dimensions of black hole are slightly different to what we previously thought. Okay. So this film wasn't just a piece of entertainment. It actually created some science as well in the That's process. Just, I love it. I just, it's great, isn't I it? I love it. I love it. I wish I'd, I wish I'd studied more. <laughs> I wish I'd concentrated but, harder but, at school on physics. You know, people knock Nolan sometimes, but I like the fact that he has these ambitions, these yes. highfalutin ideas. Definitely. A hundred million percent. I like. I got so drawn into it about like the theory of everything. So that's what's occupying our finest minds. Um, trying to, um, what's the right word? Like dovetail all these things together because in this film they're like, oh, gravity is the one thing that can cross. But obviously every every field has got its own, and dimension has got its own rules. And there are some people that won't accept that that is right and that there has to be an underpinning. Uh, logic to it all and I mean the way I'm describing it is obviously terrible but um, yeah so yeah the theory of everything but then you could you know you can go full circle with that but that's just God like and then you then back round and round and round it's amazing I'm sorry about that do you know what Um, uh, do you (laughs) you know what Nolan says um, is the actual answer uh, to the end of Interstellar yeah go on he says it's there for you to make what you make of it People do always have radically different interpretations of things I put in there, but I know what I think, and I don't like to have any more validity than the experience you have watching it. Mm, I've not, certainly not seen it criticised as being turning into a Hallmark movie where he's sitting behind a book shouting he loves her. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I got swept away with it. I think the cynical, I think the cynical uh, person would think that. I, I got, I, I got emotional during that sequence. Yeah, because he's saying none of it was worth it. I missed everything, and that's not worth it. Maybe that's just the people who 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 um, always talk about Christopher Nolan films being cold and don't like it when he actually warms up a little bit. Yeah, I don't think they're cold. Mm. I mean, we can talk about Tenet later, but anyway, anyway, uh, right, the bits. So, uh, Chris, what was your best scene? Uh, it's either one of the scenes where Matthew McConaughey is crying. <laughs> I know, I uh, he's I quite, he's quite restrained for lots of this movie. So I find it incredibly powerful um, when he's watching those videos or, or asking her to stay, uh, which we know can't happen or he wouldn't be there to tell her. Yep. But it's just, I think it's probably just watching his face, watching the videos. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful. It so is. <laughs> it so is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Alex, what about you? It so is. It so <laughs> is. Um, 
Yeah, I've sort of picked a best section this week, so uh, deal with it, uh, which is um, partly something Chris will like and partly something Chris won't like, which is uh, the discussion of the amount of time uh, that is different down on the water planet uh, on the Endurance before they go down to the whole sequence on the water planet to them getting back and Romilly having aged 23 years to the bit Chris just said about watching the videos. I think that whole sequence is like... It's a little mini movie. It perfectly encapsulates setup and then action and then payoff and then freaking emotion at the end. It's brilliant. I agreed. Um, mine is the the library. Um, when whichever of the robots, Tars or Case, says to him, they, the bulk beings, have created this setup to enable you to be able to sort of conceive of time as something different. That, that for me is the closest I've ever come to going, all oh, right, yeah, cool, I get that. <laughs> like, and that's a gift from a bigger mind than mine to say, here we are, try to imagine what this might look like. And that's an amazing thing to be able to do. Uh, MVW, Chris. Most valuable ever. Um, I think Hans Zimmer really pulled out all the stops with this score. Um, so I want to talk about it very briefly. Nolan gave him a page of dialogue and ideas and it was simply about a father and son at the time. It wasn't a father and daughter. He didn't tell him it was for a big budget science fiction movie. He just told him it was about this relationship. And so Hans went away and wrote a piece of music about his son and what it's like being a father. And as I said, Nolan then listened to that music while he was finishing the script as he felt it captured the heart of the film. So Hans Zimmer did a hell of a job with this score, but they used an organ at Temple Church in London to record it. And Roger Sayer, who they all describe as a humble organist, um, he's the one who's playing this score. And he's the one that taught Hans and Nolan and everyone what the potential of the organ is and what the things they could do about the, the intimacy that you could hear in it and, the, in the, and the, that there's almost a breath in every sound from the way they work. Um, so I'm going to say Roger Sayer because he literally pulled out all the stops for this score because that's where that phrase comes from, pulling out all the stops. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer. Alex? Um, I, 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 I'm surprised he didn't get more of a mention on the show because uh, the MVW, uh, without a doubt, is Tars. Uh, I think he <laughs> is absolutely brilliant. I love the fact that he is uh, a practical puppet that they built um, uh, for the movie. And there is a, a gentleman behind him moving him along for most of the time, unless he's doing something really intricate, at which point they used a bit of CGI. Uh, but there, there's a, an actor and comedian uh, who specializes in clowning, who is actually behind um, Tars for most of the movie, a guy called Bill Irwin. And uh, interestingly, uh, he is the man who plays um, uh, Charlie Sheen's dad in Hot Shots, who uh, you see on the wing of the plane trying to save his, ma his uh, friend in a brilliant clowning scene that you can watch on YouTube. But it's the same guy. Uh, but mainly I love Tars because I think it's fascinating that uh, Christopher Nolan, who occasionally is um, considered more of a, a technical filmmaker than an actor's director, uh, would make the best character in his film a robot. Uh, it just works for me. It's like, of course, the funniest and most like, like, like joyful character in this whole thing is a robot. Mm. And fun fact, he he makes a Joker two thousand and one joke. Tars does early yeah. on about the bay doors. Um, he's designed to look like the monolith. That was where, that was their yeah. start point. 
They said, what if the monolith was turned into a robot designed by an architect? And that's how we got this appearance of, of Tarkin. That whole conversation yeah, like. where Cooper's like, a giant sarcastic robot, what a great idea. And Tars goes, I have a cue light I can use to show you and I'm joking if you'd like. And Cooper goes, that might help. And Tars goes, yeah, you can use it to find your way back to the ship after I blow you out of the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes maybe Christopher Nolan would like one of those lights so that people would know when he's joking yeah. or that he would know when other people are joking. Um, mine is Matthew McConaughey, which I mm. wasn't going to pick him because there's a lot of other amazing things going on. But for the scene that you've spoken about when he sees the videos, when he realises the enormity of where this fucking Top Gun bullshit attitude has got him... And it, it, you can suddenly see how crushed he is by what he's seen, and he regrets it. Like, mm. and it's really very moving. Or actually, uh, I've mentioned it a few times. Whoever's still making beer, like, it's a dusty world, but you can get a cold one, so it's not that bad. <laughs> Thank God. You'd need a beer to get through that dust storm, dust yeah. storm, dust storm, corn, corn, dust storm. <laughs> Uh, what would you change, Alex, if you could change one thing? Well, I've listened to some of what you've said and people. some people find uh, Nolan cynical uh, or some cynical people feel that Nolan, you know... He's cold. Cold, that's right. Sorry, yeah. I find him cold. Mm. And I've just heard one of your favourite scenes. Uh, the biggest thing I'd change is the fucking bookcase in the fifth dimension. It's rubbish. Okay. I hate it. Lovely. I'm like... And, I, and I'm saying this... <laughs> I am saying this having, like, shed a tear... At as a physicist. various times in this movie, but as a physicist, this is uh, just, uh, it's just a, I just think the moment, I think the moment goes on too long. Uh, I think like, Ugh. I think that I really do. It's, it just, it feels labored. Um, it, it really feels like drawn out unnecessarily. I think it could be speeded up. Uh, I don't think it's particularly visually kind of interesting. Uh, and the, the oh, books, man. the books <laughs> change size. Like it starts off and he's like a miniature Matthew McConaughey pushing really giant books with both hands. And then suddenly the books are normal size and size has no meaning in there. What's wrong? And also, anyway. also, I just think I just can't get over the idea that like, I mean, if Kip Thorne didn't have a problem with it, then who am I to say? But you're going to tell Quite someone right. the quantum like mechanics of how a black hole works <laughs> using the second hand of an old watch and Morse code. <laughs> please, please, Kip Thorne. You come round, I'll give you a watch and you show me that. Now, I'm no physicist, but Morse code is just letters, isn't it? So how do you spell out numbers? You have to spell them out alphabetically. Exactly. And, like, and it would take... Like the quantum mechanics of a black a hole, years. like a million years. Like, 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 you know, like Murph should be like twice that. It should just be a brain in a jar at the end when he gets back to Cooper Station. <laughs> Fucking Cooper Station. Hey, I'm at Cooper Station. Do you want to meet your gran? All right, probably cover your eyes though, because here she is. She's some gloop that we've kept alive. Uh, but actually, you're having a more emotional, engaging conversation because she's gloop than you actually did with your old grandma at the end of this movie. <laughs> Well, considering considering it's the equation that will save the world, I'm sure she can get some people to help her. <laughs> She's not going to be in that room on her own. We leave her in that room on her own at the beginning. Oh, I forgot about that. That's your classic maths montage as well. Like, I love a montage like that, where she's like, hooray, and then she kisses that man, and she's like, I've done it. Brilliant. Yeah. And also, but what about the bit where she's, she finally completes it? Uh, but she's still young when she completes it, so presumably somehow when she's got all her paperwork together and Topher 
Grace is there and she's like, oh, Topher Grace, we've had really no chemistry for any part of this, but (laughs) kissy, kissy, kissy. I guess we're going to get together. Who knows? Because you're barely in this. But anyway, this is the equation. Eureka! And throws it into the launch pad. Why does no one go, Mm. was that the only fucking copy? Because <laughs> that, that's yeah. going to take a long time. And she's like, it's tradition. It's like, what tradition? That's not been mentioned before. What tradition is this? She's like, it's tradition. No, is it? I don't think it is. Yeah, I agree with you. Because the only other proof is on a chalkboard, but that makes me nervous because cleaner comes in, that's gone. Yeah. Nightmare. Um, my change would be... Did I do your change, Chris? No. No, sorry. You go next. Sorry. Okay. Um, I would change the uh, problematic uh, sequence on the water planet. Um, and I hate having minor quibbles with plot points, but it did frustrate me. As I said earlier, that, that it feels like there's some confusion over the amount of time they've lost in those extra 45 minutes. But also, they know that they've got their, their time is against them when they're down there. Um Every second counts. The gravity is punishing, he says, when, he, when he's down there. They're moving very slowly. And then when the tidal wave starts coming, Wes Bentley says, Case, go get her. And then Case turns into a superhero. Yeah. It fucking, it's gone. He's like the Flash. Yeah. So going around picking up stuff, saving people. Um, why wasn't Case on the case Earlier. I completely agree. Why Send was he ambling? Robot. Why is he ambling about in the background, just wondering, meandering, yeah. while they're walking through Having the water? Having a paddle, basically. <laughs> <laughs> until someone tells him, um, and there might be a reason for that. In which case, explain it. If not, bad writing. I agree. Uh, and also, My... can 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 like I I I I am not a physicist, uh, but can three feet of water create tidal waves three stories high? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> correct. Says the humanities uh, expert in the corner. Um, I can't p- put this into words properly, <clears throat> so maybe you can help me out. But Anne Hathaway, I like that she's cold. Actually, um, I just do. But there's something missing somewhere from that character, or something's missing between her and Cooper. So when he ejects her to go to Edmonds, and he ends up. Uh, in the black hole that moment is surprising because they've agreed to do it together but it didn't have any resulting like emotional impact it was just a surprise so there needed to be for me but this is a minor thing because i do think this is a pretty fucking good film like if there'd just been a bit more of a a staggered sort of build-up of uh, feelings between them which do they don't have to be uh sexual but just a friendship or something something is missing by that point possibly because she just passes out in what is the biggest moment of his heroism at that uh to you know up to that point so yeah i don't, I don't know it's a bit of a shit one i just can't really i just don't really get it like i could sort of forgot she was in it until i watched it again and that's mad really because she's like quite a big part of it but i just i didn't get that that those two were that relationship was something i should really care about it's a real diss to like the space station that murph has built and like the 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 house that she's created his old farm and the baseball and everything that he goes yeah you know, what? I'm going to leave all this to go and hang out with a woman that I have literally had no chemistry with, but everyone seems to think I should go and see. So, yeah, I'll go and see her. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Uh, right, then. Shall we do the verdict? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, Vicky. Uh, no, Chris, sorry. These were your choices. Who would you like to go first on the verdict? 
I, I don't know which direction everyone's going in this week, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, so let's start with ladies first, Vicky. <gasps> this is really hard. I'm not even sure I know. So I'm just going to go with, like Anne Hathaway does in Interstellar, my heart and not my head, <laughs> because I'm a woman. And that's what we do, even when we're right. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go for, well, I haven't got time to give it a good reason. Um, just say it then. Interstellar. Yeah, even though it's very, very, very long and made me feel very sleepy. Um, I don't, I think maybe, I think possibly because of uh, Matthew McConaughey in contact, I can't really bear him. <laughs> and as amazing as Jodie Foster is, I the I was unconvinced by Coop and Brant's relationship, but I was more unconvinced by Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey in contact. And that's, that's it, it's like splitting hairs, but that's literally the only reason. So Interstellar. Alex. Again, um, it's a real tough one uh, this week. Uh, a real tough one. I really love both these movies until the climax. And so what I'm really picking here is which climax I can tolerate more. Stupid beach alien or stupid <laughs> five-dimensional bookcase of doom. Um, <gasps> you are an idiot. And so I don't know. I, it's, it's which of those like do I l l like hate least? Um, I think, I, I mean, the, the, the bookcase is just like, oh, it's just, oh, uh, but then in context, like that whole, like, oh, there are 18 hours of static filmed, but don't tell Jodie Foster and, you know, uh, <laughs> and like, Hey, welcome to this beach. Uh, I got nothing of value to say. See ya. Um, ultimately the one I hate more is the beach alien in contact. I'm picking Interstellar. <laughs> I'm picking Interstellar as my choice this week. It's a better film at the end. So we have a winner. We do. Interstellar. But, Chris, where would you have gone? Well, first, can I just say that in future, Vicky, yes. can we not interrupt people's verdict by saying, oh, you are an idiot, oh, which sorry. is what you just did to Alex? <laughs> That's pretty hardcore. I just got told off. <laughs> right, no, I can handle it. I'm, I'm a grown-up. He's pouring out his heart. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry, Alex, and sorry, Chris. Uh, these are both exceptional blockbusters, I would say. Um, in contact, Ellie's searching so she's not alone. In Interstellar, Cooper's searching for a way to save the world. So contact doesn't have that ticking clock, which I think makes it a braver film. It doesn't follow the conventions that Interstellar does. Um, and second time around, I can see where Nolan is manipulating us. He's sending us like the characters on these wild goose chases, which makes it less satisfying when you know the magic trick that's sort of being pulled on you. But the images and the sound and the editing and the music in Nolan's film, he's such a master at combining those things and the action and the emotion. And it's such a spectacular experience. I'm going to go with Nolan. I'm going to go with Interstellar. It's three for three. Woo! Three for three on Interstellar. Marvellous. Marvellous. I, I mean, you know, to go back to the start of episode one at the start of this week, you know, to travel back through that wormhole. And um, I, I will say that we both did, uh, Vicky and I, I remember we, we both opened with, I, I think you said as well, Chris, how much Interstellar made us cry. Uh, it was an emotional mm. journey. Mm. And so I think, I think the right movie has won this week uh, and that movie is interstellar right looking ahead oh sorry chris you wanted to do an email didn't you i've got some emails and tweets i'd like to read out if that's all right yeah hell yeah do it man cool we got some lovely we got some lovely messages this week so um tom tweeted at clash pod 
and said, uh, Chris and Alex are so correct about the singing telegram moment in Clue on the latest Clash pod. My brothers and I still quote that bit 30 odd years after watching it. Yeah, we are. And you know what? Since that one's gone out, I've had people messaging me to tell me that was the moment that got them as well. So that really unpleasant, horrible, violent, <laughs> shocking moment is beloved. It's so weird. Someone needs to study that. It's fascinating. It's the most memorable <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, Garion uh, emailed us and said I was put onto this podcast by my cousin as it would seem that me and Alex have a shared love of shark films Yay! I've been collecting B-movie shark films for a few years as they make a great night of drinking games and he's come up with a drinking game yes. um, wow. that he suggests we play so uh, you have one drink when someone is attacked by a shark Two drinks when there is a shark pun. Three drinks for an unnecessary swimwear or nudity. And four, you have to do a shot for every dubious scientific fact. <laughs> um, he says Sand Sharks is a particularly good film for this genre. Uh, but it gets pretty messy. Have you seen Sand Sharks yet, Alex? No, I haven't seen Sand Sharks and I'm so excited about this game. I can't tell you. I'm literally, I, I, I'm about to cry more than I cried during Interstellar at the prospects of playing this game. I need it to happen ASASP. Well, we've, we've been talking for months about getting together to watch a film together, the three of us, so maybe that should be it. Fox. Shark Night. Sand Sharks is the movie. I don't know how I feel about that, but based on this drinking, I think because of the drinking game, it works. I think if the three of us went, uh, shall we get together and watch our first movie as a trio? <laughs> should it be Sand Sharks? I'm right now, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> uh, I've got an email from Phil who says... Uh, I feel I need to correct Alex on the subject of the Richard Dunn Sports Centre. Oh, man, what? what? Uh, so Alex talked about this sports centre on the Bill and Ted Doncaster, episode. Doncaster, yeah, and it's there. It's a real Phil thing. Phil explains, Phil, or Phil claims, uh, Richard Dunn was in Bradford, not Doncaster. It has only recently closed down within the last year. Richard Dunn hailed from Bradford and worked as a scaffolder. He was also a boxer who fought Muhammad Ali back when he was still Cassius Clay. He was beaten but apparently put in a decent effort. The sports centre was named after him and I'm sure I've heard that he actually worked on the building but not sure about that. So he just sneakily put the plaque up when he was building it and they were like, have we got a name? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a name. <laughs> just stuck it on there. How do you feel about that, Alex? Well, I mean, not great but having just, <laughs> having just used Google... He's right. It's near a brand. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Fine. Don't know what- thank you. Uh, thank you, Phil. Mm. Uh, that's really, really made my day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and finally, Thanks, Phil. Uh, thank, you, got- Phil. <laughs> thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Finally, we got a couple of tweets from Sarah in Austin, Texas, who said, I just finished the Big Trouble Golden Child episodes and want to share my delightful encounter with James Hong when he appeared at the Alamo Ritz for a Big Trouble screening. He was just the most delightful. He even donned the low pan costume and did a quick shock attack sequence bit in the backstage hallway with me before he went on stage. Sadly, I do not have this footage. If his assistant reads this, please send it to me. Uh, Sarah sent us the picture. We're retweeting it, but it's actually given me an idea. So I put a call out over Twitter asking people to send us pictures of themselves and a Clash Pod favourite. So if you've met Frank Welker, James, <laughs> James Horner, John Carpenter, and as we haven't mentioned this week, Tim Curry. Oh, shit. <laughs> Let us know and we'll, we'll retweet Thank, it. But, also, um, can I just make a plea for Sandra Bullock? Sandra Bullock as well. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God you mentioned Tim Curry because that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference, a late entry, picking up the slack I inevitably create, Chris. I love it. Thank you. If someone sends us a picture of themselves with Tim Curry, I will send you the DVD of Clue I bought but never watched because I didn't realise it was on Sky. There you go. <laughs> wow. 
It's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Lovely stuff. Uh, Right then. Well, uh, now we've tackled uh, that, why don't we tackle what we're talking about next week? I return to you, Victoria. Uh, What's the dealio? So the clue was the course of true love never did on the run smooth. Is that right? (sighs) Yeah, Yeah, that's right. It's because it's illogical. Anyway, so that means that this week... Um, Chris, you're going to watch Natural Born Killers <gasps> and Alex, you're going to watch True Romance. Whoa! Ooh. A violent, another... Uh, uh, no, not another, a very violent week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Lovely. Cool. But sexy. So fine. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen either of those in a long time. Cool. I'm down with that. Bit of Christian Slater. Love that boy. Uh, Right then. Uh, Slightly patronising. Never mind. Uh, That's the end of uh, this episode. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Congratulations to Interstellar. It is our champion this week. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to us and reviewers and raters wherever you get your podcasts. It's hugely appreciated. We will return on Monday to talk all things which movie came out first. True romance, I think. Hey, let's go with True Romance. Both of them are happening. That's next week's Clash Pods. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.